welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing well, and thank you for inviting me to be here. I'm super excited. Sure. It's my absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm very excited to chat with you. And awesome. I would love to start off with talking about fire eating. So I just <laughs> – I'm, I'm going to get like deep into your career, but I just happened to watch sure. a, a Vimeo um, show or a clip about you – eating fire and then spinning around upside down in a cube with fire also like shooting off of it uh, on sticks. It was toasty. <laughs> I could definitely imagine. And you were dressed as the evil queen. So um, what, what got you into fire eating and wanting to get into more circus acrobatic type of environments like that? And how long have you been doing all that? Sure. Well, circus itself, I've been doing since uh, early 2011. Um, and honestly, I've just been looking for I, I really enjoy athletic things. I had trained in martial arts for many, many years and um, was looking for something else athletic to do. And I've always being a marketer, I've always also gra gravitated towards creative stuff um, and performing arts and so forth. So this was like circus is the perfect combination of both. You get the athletic side of things yeah. and you get the creative side of things. So it really spoke to me. And um, I started out obviously doing uh, a lot of the aerial stuff and um in the course of doing circus, you acquire a lot of circus friends <laughs> and right. you see your circus friends doing things like eating fire. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, Oh, I got to try that. That looks really cool. Um, so uh, yeah, I just seen some of my friends doing some really cool things and with fire. And that's what kind of sparked my interest. Uh, no pun intended actually. Yeah. And um fire eating and fire painting sort of went yeah. together. And that was the thing that um, just sort of intrigued me because uh, I've always found it really cool to watch, like who would put fire in their mouth. Yeah, and wait, I figured what's this fire painting? <laughs> uh, like, fire are painting you, is. Are you like swallowing kerosene and like spitting fire at something? Oh, no, oh. that's that's different. <laughs> that's that's different, fire okay. breathing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't tried that one yet. I'm not opposed to it, but I haven't tried that one. I think that one is um that one is a little easier to get wrong and can be pretty dangerous. So, uh that one I haven't tried yet. Fire painting is where you're literally taking your sticks that are dipped in gas and mm -hmm. you're basically painting your skin with it and then you're painting like a trail of fire. What? Wow. <laughs> so and that, that's actually where you start before yeah. the eating. So you, so before you put it in your mouth, you put it on your body first. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. So what? how do you train for something like this? Um, and I'm coming from this from completely like excited and, and bewildered type of angle on this because I, I have watched people do this. 
um, like fire eating. Cause I, so I, I live in Salem, Massachusetts and every October, uh, Halloween is huge around here. And a few of the, of my, like up the road from me, there's, there's a street that's known for like the, where everybody goes and they always have like fire eaters and fire breathers on the street, mm-hmm. like performing, which is absolutely amazing. And, um, Yesterday, I actually watched a demonstration that David Blaine did on a TV show. Where, so that's why I brought the cal- kerosene then. Apparently, he swallowed water, and then he swallowed kerosene, and then he – and, and the kerosene was sitting on top of the water, and he was able to, like, spit fire out and light something on fire and then wait a second and then put it out simultane- like right after that. Um, which I think oh may God. be a little bit different from what you're working on, but um, I find all of that completely fascinating. So, what was the process like to learn to eat fire? Like, is it a um, mental thing, like mostly, or actual, like a physical thing? I would say a lot of it is mental um, because you have to get over the idea of I'm touching fire to my skin and I'm there's I'm putting fire in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's the big part for most people. Uh, there, obviously there's some technique to it, but I don't think it's so complicated. Like I learned, I I took a workshop in fire painting and fire eating. And the first, I think it was a three part workshop, uh, maybe two hours each, an hour and a half, two hours, something like that. Um, and the first session that we had was really about the painting. Mm -hmm. So it's, getting used to, first of all, having a healthy respect for the fire and getting used to the feel of fire because it does hurt. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's technique to it, but there's yeah. no like trick that it doesn't hurt at all. Okay. It's so still, it always hurts. Oh, it, or, yeah. Or, or, I mean, or you feel it anyway, like no matter what happens, you're always, you feel the, like, it's obvious that you're doing something with fire and you can feel it. It's not like a, a no sensation thing. No, it's not no sensation. You feel it. So when you touch it to your skin, it's kind of like if uh, if someone took a rubber band and like oh, okay. slapped it on your skin pretty yeah. hard. It's kind of like that. Okay. It's like a little bit of a sting. Um, obviously, you don't leave. For So we started with um, the inside of our forearm mm-hmm. and doing the fire there because you also if you have hair on your arm it's going to burn the hair and right. <laughs> that smells so good so we started with the insides of our arms and having like the trail of fire there and our hands as well like feeling you feel it a little bit less on your hand if you're holding it for example in the palm of your hand mm-hmm. and literally your hand will just be on fire for like a couple seconds and you'll blow it out um you feel it a little more on your forearm when it's going down the arm. That's yeah. uh, you'll start to see. At least for me, I would start after a few times. I would see like little red tra- trails, kind of little red marks down my arm where the fire had been. But it was never like really burned or no like lasting problems or anything. It's just you have to be okay with that little bit of pain and just the idea that you're kind of setting yourself on fire. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, That's fascinating. Um, so do you, yeah. so do you also, so I, at least in the video I watched, you did the fire eating first and then, then you, you know, got into the cube. Do you ever right. simult like do both simultaneously? Like while you're spinning in the air in a cube also like eat fire at the same time. Is that a thing? 
Um, that I haven't tried. I haven't seen that. Not, not to say that someone hasn't tried that. Okay. The challenge is though, um, when you're spinning, obviously it'll blow the fire around. So uh-huh. you have to be like really careful when you're putting the fire in the mouth, in your mouth. You have yeah. to be careful about wind. Ideally, you have no wind whatsoever. Okay. So that when you're directing it into your mouth, you're not like, it's not blowing into your hair or, <laughs> or something like that. Right. Wow. Okay. So, and generally like you want to like take a big breath in and then as you're guiding the fire into your mouth, then you're kind of like creating an O shape with your mouth mm-hmm. to kind of uh, cut off the oxygen and we'll put the fire out and then you can exhale a little bit too. So oh, that's okay. kind of how it works. Okay, cool. Wow. That's, that's absolutely fascinating. Um, okay. So I am, I'm curious on how this kind of relates to other things that you've done. So you studied French in undergrad mm-hmm. and then global marketing at, at Emerson. Um, mm-hmm. So what was, why, what gravitated you to study French? Um, you know, sometimes I wonder that myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so my dad actually comes from Portugal. And back in the days that I was raised, it, it was, um, you know, if you weren't, first generation American to this country, you wanted to raise your kids to speak without an accent. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately he never taught me Portuguese. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, I I would hear the language um, because my grandparents and cousins who I didn't see that often would speak Portuguese. And it was almost like kind of a secret, like a secret code. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I found language really interesting and I grew up on the Canadian border in upstate New York on a dairy farm actually. And so we had a little bit of French in school and um, I just really enjoyed it because it was like a code to me. Mm -hmm. So I started to spend more time learning French. And when I was getting ready to go into school, uh, I had asked a guidance counselor. I didn't really know exactly what it was that I wanted to do. And so someone had just advised me, well, what do you enjoy? And I enjoyed French and I enjoyed meeting different people and learning about different cultures. So that's what I ended up going into school for. And I majored in French with a minor in Spanish and I studied Italian and a little bit of Portuguese. And I've even studied a little bit of Japanese and German, but don't quiz me because I will be bad at all those right now. (laughs) Except my French is decent. I was fluent at one point. I'm a little bit rusty, but I would be fluent again in a couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, that's kind of how I ended up going into languages. Um, I don't know that I would have, if I were to do it again, knowing what I know as, you know, a professional, I probably would have chosen something, um, slightly different, um, you know, for my degree, but it's worked out for me. Okay, sure. And then what made you want to transition from languages? to marketing, particularly at marketing at Emerson in Boston? Mm -hmm. Um, So it actually brought together two things that I really enjoyed. I, as part of, um, so as part of studying French and uh, at UMass, I wanted to go for a certificate in, I can't remember what it was called, like French marketing or something like that. It was basically international business. So I had to take, a couple marketing courses to get that certificate. Mm-hmm. And when I took it, um, marketing just clicked with me. It was one of those things, like 
an accidental discovery and I realized, wow, this is really, I just really enjoy it and it really makes sense to me and somehow I was good at it. So I figured, you know, I, but I didn't have a formal degree in it, which makes it difficult for your st- first step out of college. My, my first job actually was teaching French and Spanish, but I knew that I wanted to get into the international business side. So I taught for a year and then I found Emerson's program. Um, for global marketing. And actually, I did the program that was located in Belgium, because I figured if you're going to study international marketing, you shouldn't do it from here in the US. <laughs> Let me <laughs> right. go somewhere in, more international in Belgium, like yeah. Brussels is a perfect example, because you've got NATO and UN, and it's just so multicultural there. So that's why I ended up doing that program specifically, it really brought together two things I really enjoyed. And it gave me an advanced degree on the business side, which was important because I really wanted to go into the inter- international business side of things. Sure. Okay. Excellent. So then when you finished the program at Emerson, what was your first, I guess, first few jobs like in the in the industry? So my first job um, was actually working for an IT services provider in marketing. Um, it was a pretty new company. It was about three years old, but it was cash flow positive, which was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and they hadn't had marketing person before. And actually, they didn't even really hire me as their marketing person. Um, they yeah. <laughs> um, I was temping because I, when I moved back, I didn't really have a place to go. And I um, was engaged at the time. And my ex-fiance was going to grad school in Pittsburgh. So I figured, you know what, I need to get a job somewhere. Might as well be Pittsburgh. Did a little bit of temping. And um, this one company that I had temped for was looking for a sales coordinator. And they were like, hey, you're smart. So do you want a job here? This is what it is. Yeah. And I started doing that and eventually weaseled that into a full-blown marketing position, <laughs> which they had never had. And they were really happy with me. And um, that was the start of my marketing career. And that okay. also got me started down the path of tech startups. Okay, excellent. So at, at some point, you then start your own company, 42 Muses. Why mm-hmm. Why did you decide to branch off on your own as opposed to working or to continually keep going from like tech startup to tech startup? Well, I mean, I I have still worked for quite a few tech startups, but as okay. you spend more time in the business, you make a lot of, you just make a lot of good connections. And um, I just had a lot of people asking me to do work for them. Um, and for a lot of them, it was, you know, not necessarily even a full-time position that they had so much as, Hey, I really need help on this one project and we've worked together and I know you and I like you and can you help Um, me with this? So I, I sort of got pulled into it that way. Um, just because, you know, I just had so many requests coming in. So that's, that's how I started down that path. Okay. Excellent. And then as it, so I guess as it grew, did you build it out? Um, to be bigger and bigger, or has it been more of like, um, you know, in addition to other things that you've been working on type of type of organization? Um, kind of some of both. I've never gone the, down the path of building it into um, like a full-blown large agency, bringing other people on, okay. uh, which is one path I could have gone down because certainly there, there's there been a fair amount of demand Um but I don't know that I necessarily want to be an agency. Sure. Um, 
just because I always have some other technology projects of my own that I want to work on. <laughs> sure. Um, and agency life can be a little bit of a rat race. So it's more so just helping out people that I like and on different projects when I have the time. And sometimes I've done it where, you know, I go full time, whole hog doing some projects, but most of the time it's just things that I do on the side. Um, as you can see, I have quite a few, I have quite a few different projects <laughs> that I'm involved in. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm a little spread thin. Sure, definitely. Um, so let's talk about your other project, the Chief Marketers in Los Angeles. So what, mm-hmm. tell me more about that and what made you want to start that organization or co-found that organization? Yeah, so that I co-found with a good friend of mine, uh, Mark Layden, who is also my former boss, uh, a few companies back. Mm-hmm. And the two of us just got together and realized, hey, it would really be great, you know, because we'll, we'll get together and talk shop and figure out, like, what have you been doing that is working well? And, hey, what do you think about X, Y, Z and whatever? And realize there's not really an organization like that here in Los Angeles for just marketing people, higher level marketing people to get together and talk shop like that. And we wanted to create a forum where it wasn't a paid thing. You don't have to have a membership that's going to cost you a thousand dollars a year or something like that, mm-hmm. um, where you can just come together with um, different CMOs and VPs of marketing and discuss like what some of your top concerns are or share contacts, share ideas get feedback on some of your ideas from other people who really understand what your challenges are as a person heading up marketing. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Are there so is it an in, independent organization or are there other like branches in other parts of the United States or other parts of the world? Um it's independent. Okay. Um so it's it's just us and we have a collection of CMOs and VPs marketing here in Los Angeles. Um, we've talked about whether we want to create the same thing in other cities. Um, but, uh, so far we've, we've been doing it just here in LA and meeting like a few times per year. We actually have, um, another one on the calendar for September. So, um, planning out into the fall already. Sure. Okay, great. Well, if you guys ever come out to Boston, let me know because, uh, I would have loved to have an organization like this the few times I was the CMO of a tech startup. Um, oh yeah right you understand <laughs> yeah oh yeah i totally get it where you're like kind of on your own in a little island sometimes um just exactly trying to find other people who are doing something similar and it's yeah it's um uh, it's always nice to have other people to chat with who are who are also going through the same struggles and and issues and exactly same challenges yeah learn from each other and help support each other yeah exactly so now you're working with uh gem is that how mm-hmm. is it can i make sure That's i'm pronouncing right. that correctly <laughs> With, yep, you you know, got it. with cryptocurrency companies and tech companies, sometimes you're never quite sure if, <laughs> if, it's, if it's actually pronounced the way it looks like it's spelled. Um, so I guess first, what caught you interested in cryptocurrency and this project in particular? Mm-hmm, sure. Um, so I, I've been kind of following cryptocurrency for quite some time. Um just kind of the rise of Bitcoin. And I started uh, taking more note, I guess, when Bitcoin was around Mm -hmm. $2,000, probably earlier last year Mm -hmm. is when I started to pay even more attention to it. And I've always, since I've always worked in tech, I've always worked with a lot of engineers and technical people who tend to gravitate to crypto sooner than the rest of the world. So 
you know, I'd been part of conversations about that and, and hearing about it um, and kind of kept my eye on the market, especially as Bitcoin really had that meteoric rise. Although I, I still didn't, uh, it took me a little bit to jump in from an investment standpoint. And really the tipping point for me, I have to say, was CryptoKitties. <laughs> because I just, I, I can't have more cats in real life. I've got yeah. two. That's sure. enough. <laughs> so I was like, well, obviously I need to collect some digital cats. And it was just kind of an interesting thing for me. I found out about it super early, um, a day or two after they launched. So I was, mm-hmm. you know, sort of jumping on that train in, in the early days of the crypto kitties. Um, yeah. and do you, do you own crypto kitties right now? I do. Yeah. I, I've got a little, a little stable of kitties and, um, very nice. <laughs> it was I, worth, oh, go, go, go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. I, I was going to say it was worth the, it, I mean, it's a little challenging to figure out, uh, even though I'm a little more technical, I think than your average marketer, it's still mm-hmm. a little daunting. The yeah. whole process of figuring out how do I set up a wallet and purchase ether and how do I transfer it and what is MetaMask and like, how do I get these things? But yeah. I was determined to get my cats. <laughs> so went through the process and I'm happy I did it. And that sort of, you know, from there, my interest only grew. Um, and, you know, then I started looking at, oh, maybe I should invest in some coins too, and not just these cats. And mm-hmm. so that's how I kind of started to cultivate the interest in crypto. Um, plus, I mean, being in technology, I'm always looking for what's new and different. How is, how are things, what's going to change the world? <laughs> you know, how are things trending? that are really going to impact our day to day. And so that's why I've been keeping my eye on things like AI and crypto and stuff like that. So um, for me, Gem was just a really interesting opportunity because I really um, had been learning more about the crypto space. I was very interested in the crypto space. I think blockchain decentralization will have a huge impact um, on our day to day lives. You know, over time, I think it'll take a little bit of time to get to the mainstream, but I think that there's, you know, I think it's going to happen. And um, I actually was having a conversation over LinkedIn with a guy I'd worked with a few companies back, and um, we were talking about blockchain and crypto specifically. And a week later, he got an email from the head of operations, people operations over at Gem, that they were looking for a marketing person. So he forwarded that to me and said, hey, are you interested? Because we just talked about this, and then the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. So what? So I guess specifically, since now you're working, you've worked previously with tech companies, are there differences that you've noticed in how you're approaching the marketing of your product in what you would do with, let's say, like a traditional tech company versus what you're doing now with a cryptocurrency company? Um, there definitely are some differences. I mean, I think uh, because uh, some differences, some similarities. So because crypto has had kind of an unfortunate reputation with some of the um, like frauds and scam projects and things like that. And those are the ones that you hear about. Mm-hmm. Whereas there really are a lot of really great legitimate use cases, really great projects and companies coming up through. But I think, you know, we really have to fight some of those negative stereotypes that are forming. So that's one challenge um, that's a little bit different. And then as a result, from a marketing perspective, 
you know, you've got companies like Facebook and Google and Taboola and Twitter and MailChimp, LinkedIn, you know, banning some cryptocurrency ads. So it makes it a little more challenging. Not that you're, you know, going to rely 100% on ads, but even, you know, distributing your content and things like that, it makes it a little bit more challenging. So you have to work around some of those limitations, um, which... Uh, just means you have to be more creative and more resourceful. That's all. Sure. Um, so I would say those are some of the differences. Um, in terms of similarities, I mean, just like any tech company, tech startup, where you're in a field that is fairly new at the moment, you know, the beginning stages, you're doing a lot of education of the market mm-hmm. and, and trying to make, just improve people's general understanding and comfort with it. Um, and that's been typical of a few of the companies that I've been with where the product that they've created is still kind of new and doesn't have broad appeal yet. So the marketing that you do in those early stages is very different from the marketing you do as the market grows and as your company grows. So those are some of the similarities where, you know, in that sense, it's a lot like the path other tech companies have had to take. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit more about the, the, um, your own personal learning curve in some of these companies? Because, um, well, I know, like, for example, in, in cryptocurrency and in, in my own journey into it, there's a, especially not coming from an engineering background, um, there's a lot of technical aspects you kind of have to catch up on and learn about and read mm-hmm. about. And then you have to know it well enough to translate it to the, to the general public or other people who are interested in your product can then um, understand what you're talking about. So in, right. I guess, so how have you approached that in other tech industries you've worked on and also in the cryptocurrency space? Well, I think the first thing is just to um, always be seeking knowledge uh, and, you know, reading as much as you can get your hands on, trying to keep up with what's going on in the industry, asking a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. You really can't be afraid to ask questions. Um, of people who are the experts. So having uh, having those conversations, I think, is really important to building up your understanding because it's like a, it's a rabbit hole. <laughs> you know, you start to go down one path because you know, oh, yeah, this is a little bit tricky. And you start to get into it and you realize, oh, my goodness, there's all this other stuff that I didn't even realize I didn't know. Yeah. So really, it's just talking to a lot of people and um and I, I mean, a lot of the people that I've talked to are really willing to answer questions. Mm-hmm. So I think just ask a lot of questions and be willing to, you know, not try to pretend you know more than you do until you really do have like a better basis, a better foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even testing some of your assumptions. So let's say, you know, I think I know about X, Y, Z. And so when I'm doing my marketing, I'm coming up with this language, asking people, you know, putting it in front of people who really understand the space and saying, hey, did I did I hit the nail on the head? Does this make sense? Or am I not positioning it correctly? And if so, what what about this is not really resonating? And then incorporating that feedback. So you can't be like so tied to whatever you come up with <laughs> that you're not willing to also see its shortcomings and evolve it and improve it. Because I think pretty much Almost any project really is an iterative 
evolutionary project. Like you're always going to make it better and better over time as your understanding grows. You have to have a starting point. You need to get it out there and everything, Mm -hmm. but um, really asking for feedback and uh, not being afraid to ask questions if it's something that you don't know. And also like taking notes too. Like sometimes I'll hear an acronym or somebody will say a word that I don't know, and then I'll go look it up. (laughs) So that way I do know. (laughs) Sure. So on the, on the cryptocurrency side, like are there, like particular um, like media sources you look for? Like, do you go like for medium articles? Do you just read a bunch of white papers? Are there books that you're looking at? I guess I'm just trying to like pull out, like, where do you go for high level information, especially since there's just so much new information coming out there and not all of it is right. accurate. Right, right. Yeah, I've been following um, news um, on sources like Coindesk and CCN mm-hmm. um, and things like that. And certainly when I come across um, people, I've come across a few Medium articles that are really good um, that sort of break things down a little bit uh, in in terms of what certain things mean in crypto um, just to help improve my understanding. So I've been looking at those sources as well. Um, And then we've got uh, here in LA, we've got some meetups and other local groups that do some social events. So we'll go to those also just talking to people I find helps and exposing yourself to it. Um, The more, the more times you hear things explained in a different way, the better. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, generally, generally I'm going to some of those online sources and then there are like some newsletters I'm subscribed to that I read to sort of keep up with things. And, um, because I'm on Telegram, you know, we've got our community, uh, on Telegram and I belong to a few other communities. I'm also kind of listening into what some of the Telegram community members are talking about. Um, and I find that I've, I've learned a lot there. <laughs> things that I didn't even know to ask, but just the questions that they're asking and, and the discussions they're having have been really informative for me. Sure. Um, so on this channel, I think I don't think I've ever actually talked about Telegram before. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about what Telegram is? And um, does Gem have its own Telegram channel? We do have our own Telegram channel. Um, and that's uh, Gem HQ is the handle for that. Um, Telegram is just a secure messaging app. Uh, that is also extremely fast messaging app. So it's kind of, um, kind of like a Slack, uh, but, um, I guess more secure, easier to be anonymous. Uh, I'm a little bit of a Telegram novice, so I don't know that I'm the best person to explain it in detail, but, um, but yeah, we've got, uh, you'll find like a bunch of different groups on there. Um, like in our group, for example, we'll discuss our app, we'll discuss things like, um, what privacy privacy in the context of decentralization and um you know how how certain how wallets should work how we wish they worked and things like that sure. um but it's just part of like it's just an ongoing discussion if you find like a good community mm-hmm. you can really kind of bond with some of the community members and and ask a lot of questions and just learn a ton okay oh great thank you so much um, I'm actually probably going to join your Telegram chat after this. Uh, just because, I hope you do. Yeah, I'll, I'll be happy to see you there. <laughs> oh, perfect! Because I'm I I always love to see what's happening um, and going on in the space, and particularly so your project. Um, you know, there's a lot of like side things, kind of like that, going on. One of the first projects that I was starting to work on back in 
like a year ago was something similar, but then we kind of got sidetracked a lot. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm always, I am excited for somebody just to make the process easier for people to, you know, get involved and also to have all of their coins in one logical location as opposed to having to store, like I've got a few mm -hmm. different like accounts some are like hard wallets, some are paper wallets, then there's Coinbase. And um, so, so, yeah, it's 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 nice. It's to complicated. That, <laughs> yeah, it is incredibly complicated. And it took me a long time to kind of figure that out. Um, mm -hmm. And the only reason why I, I figured that was because I I had some friends who got involved in a site called Steam It like two years ago. Mm -hmm. And so I yep. posted some articles and I'm like, hey, I've got the Steam It dollars what does that mean and how do I translate <laughs> that over so I can use it to pay bills? And so like that sent me down this rabbit hole of like, Oh my God, mm -hmm. I have to get involved into an exchange and like all kinds of stuff. Right, um, right. So I love that you guys are, are trying to simplify all that because somebody needs to do that. Are you worried about, so like recently like fidelity has come out that they're starting to have, like they're going to start translating their services over to the cryptocurrency space and places like Robinhood, although I think only Robinhood, you can only do on the Robinhood app itself. They don't pull mm -hmm. together different exchanges. Are you worried about some more mainstream people jumping in and making your platform less, well, obsolete, I guess is the correct term right now? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you have to always watch out for competition. Um so that's always a concern, what, what other companies are doing and making sure that what we're doing is differentiated enough. But so far, mm -hmm. I haven't seen anybody taking exactly the approach that we're taking. And sure. we're spending a huge amount of time um, really on that user experience mm -hmm. and making it as easy as possible for people who are not steeped in crypto knowledge. Um, and so far we haven't seen anybody really hit the nail on the head with that. And a lot of companies also, especially if they already have, um, you know, systems in place and so forth, they're also not as, uh, sometimes they're a little bit limited by what they have already. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. <laughs> Um, so, and, and I would say, you know, a lot of financial products and things out there today even just in the mainstream finance side are not the easiest or simplest to understand and to use so i think there's a lot of improvement that can be made in all areas both in traditional mainstream apps as well as in crypto apps and certainly if you've seen any of the companies that kind of deal in, in crypto now a lot of them the user experience is still pretty complicated mm -hmm. so i think there's you know a lot that we can do um, to really improve that experience. It is uh, definitely. And, and I've looked at, you know, the shots on your website and in your UX design is, is quite beautiful. And it, it um, definitely does a really good job of simplifying that experience. So uh, when does your, I saw that your, your, are you guys doing an IPO or when does your, I guess your platform and everything else officially launch and, and what are you doing to raise or are you raising money um, to um, launch it? So we're um, VC backed. Um, okay. They, Gem has raised um, already through venture capital. Okay. So um, we're kind of a little different in that you know a lot of projects that are coming out today are going the ICO route. Yeah. To to raise their money, but we don't need to do that. So okay. we're actually focused on building a real product, Perfect. and. 
<laughs> yeah, imagine that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's also <laughs> better since I, I think you guys are in the United States too, so you less have to we deal are. with the SEC nonsense right now. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. we're in the U.S. And um, so we're right now um, we're getting ready to roll out our beta. We've had friends and family alpha testers um, okay. in our app this first portion of it. So we're going to be rolling it out in stages. It'll start with it's an all in one crypto platform. So it'll start with the portfolio piece. And then later this summer, we'll follow up with the wallet. And then we've got some other features planned out after that. So I would say the beta, um, we're going to start rolling out to people over the next several weeks. We already have um, our wait list in place. So Mm -hmm. and certainly add yourself to that wait list if, if you haven't already. Um, we're just, we're at gem.co is where you can get on that wait list. Um, and we'll be rolling it out to smaller groups of people to start. And then as we get feedback and address any issues or whatever, we'll, you know, start rolling it out to larger and larger groups until we've made it through our entire wait list. Excellent. So I'm, I'm on your wait list. I'm number 905. So this will be great. Oh, awesome. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) I can't, I can't wait for it to launch out because I will totally use that. Um, just because it'll make my life so much easier on so many different yes. ways. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear your feedback. Once, once you get that, I'd love to hear sure. what you think and any suggestions you have. Uh, d- definitely. We'll, we'll definitely talk later on that one. Um, with the experiences you've had and the companies you've worked with, what is some bad advice you hear being said all the time about marketing in general? Bad advice. Yeah, hmm. like the obvious bad advice that you that is passed around way too often. Is there, I guess, is there bad marketing advice that you're like, oh my god, please stop doing this? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there is. I just usually <laughs> ignore those people. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Stop that. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I I see a lot of people employing some kind of spammy tactics just because they think. <laughs> more is better yeah uh, or throwing dollars and throwing people at at problems that that's somehow better but i think really if you if you can really understand your market and spend time thinking of a clever and creative angle on whatever you do mm-hmm. um it can go so much further I, I just think a lot of campaigns and stuff that you see out there they didn't put as much thought into like, how do I make this stand out and mm-hmm. sort of just do, I don't know, campaigns that look like every other campaign you've right. seen and then put a lot of money into getting that word out. But <laughs> <laughs> Right. In your own experience, have you done much with um, like social media influencers or YouTube stars or, or those, I guess, that category of, uh, of individuals? And if you have... What has been your experience and has it actually worked for you? Um, so that's something that we're talking a lot about right now because mm-hmm. I've been on the B2B side. We yeah. haven't traditionally gone down that route. Um, but it, yeah, it's something that we're, we've done a lot of talking about now. So I'll be getting a lot more involved in that. Okay. All right. <laughs> I guess I got a little, little head on that one. Okay. No yeah. worry. I, I've had a little bit of experience on it and I, um, in the last, tech startup I worked with, we were um, a sunglass, a 3D printed sunglass company. We would 3D oh, cool. scan someone's face and then from that, translate that into a 3D pair of sunglasses that were perfect for that individual's face. Um, and so 
I actually got a lot of great results in the traditional public relation side of it, but trying to speak with like Instagram stars about this, I just found that to be difficult to track. So you mm-hmm. know, just because that person has like a million followers doesn't mean any of those followers are interested in our product at that time. And it's anyway. Well, and that's where you get into the big influencers versus the micro influencers, right. because the kind of influencer you're talking about, they do have, you know, maybe millions or hundreds of thousands or even tens of thousands of followers. But because there are so many, they don't necessarily have a personal relationship with all of them mm-hmm. versus if you're looking at the micro influencers who maybe they have a thousand followers up to 5000, let's say, and most likely they're talking to their friends and family. So the level of engagement will be higher and also the credibility will be higher because if your friend tells you, hey, I found this thing and it's really cool, you're more likely to listen than if you know, you know, um, Kim Kardashian West, who has however mil- many million followers, is right. saying, I really like XYZ. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I listen. Maybe I don't. But I don't know her, and she's probably getting paid. So, right, you know, yeah. it's it's a little bit different. So I think when you look at the influencers, we're like really talking about. I, I think there's value in both types mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, but we're really looking at the micro influencers. Oh sure, sure. Um, in your own journey from let's say company to company, or even what you're doing now. Were there times where you were apprehensive about taking a step into something new? And when you hit fear, how do you move past it? Um, so a couple of ways. I mean, I think anytime you're going to a new position, um, you know, there's always you get a little nervous before before you get in there like, oh, I hope I can do everything because uh, yeah. you want to make a good impression. Even if it's something that, okay, I've done this before. It's like almost the same job, just different company. But there's always some element that's a little bit different. It's a different market. It's a different group of people. You know, it's a different budget or team or whatever. Um, So I think there's always some of that. But um, I think for me, the way I get over it, there are two things. So one is to just remember, you know, also look back on your body of work because there are a ton of things that, you always have to do something for the first time before you're an expert at it. And obviously you figured it out and you got better at it and hopefully got to some place of success with it. So it's like, it's like that with anything. It's never going to be harder than maybe your first day. (laughs) You're never going to go be no less than on your first day. So each day you're always going to be a little bit smarter and a little bit better. And you know that you've figured out hard problems before and you've tackled some of these same issues before. It's just putting a different spin on it, which can make it exciting, too, Mm because, you know, it's good to challenge yourself. Um, The other way, the other thing I try to remind myself, too, I think earlier in my career, sitting in on some meetings and so forth, you know, and and talking through some tough issues, you always get like the few people who seem so confident and sure and, you know, giving their opinions on things. And I remember not really, not always speaking up sometimes in some of those meetings because I was thinking, well, I was thinking maybe this, but I don't really know for sure. It's just a hunch or this is my sense of where things are going and not speaking up and then realizing later, oh, I was right about that. And those other people, they don't know either. Everybody's just guessing. (laughs) You're just 
you're just using your best judgment and your best experience and giving it your best guess and putting your idea out there, not necessarily that it's right or wrong, but at least putting it out there for discussion. So I think part of it, too, is just remembering that in most cases, there isn't one right answer or one wrong answer. Everything is just shades of gray, um, probably more than 50, but lots of shades of gray. And, you know, you just have to. Um, yeah, it, you, you don't necessarily know less than the person who's just speaking confidently and loudly. So, <laughs> so get your opinion out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I have to ask, please tell me about Circus Star USA and, and what, mm-hmm. what that, what made you get involved in that and what is that about? Um, so Circus Star USA is a, uh, we say it's a nationwide competition for up-and-coming artists, but we mm-hmm. do have people internationally joining this year. We've got some people from the UK, uh, sorry, uh, Taiwan and Russia, and I can't remember where else, um, all over the U.S. as well. Um, I, because I started sort of my aerial circus journey back in the in 2011. You know, for the first couple of years, I was just a student and just training and really enjoying it. But having uh, the business and marketing background that I do, I started to get involved in the marketing and business side of things because yeah. somehow I just I don't know. I just end up doing that. So, um, <laughs> so this, you know, this was something where um, the woman who runs my studio, her name is Jessica Picos, uh, and I became good friends. And we also worked together on the business and started talking about, hey, we'd really love to put together a competition, you know, for, for performers just starting out, it's really hard to sort of get a foot in the door mm-hmm. and get started in your career and start building out your portfolio and getting the, you know, right types of critique, uh, as well, just sort of spanning beyond your comfort zone of, of your studio, which there's always a lot of inherent, um, you know, it's really good, the training that you're getting and so forth, but then it's good to, brought in a little bit just to get different perspectives. The more perspectives you have, the better, I think. Um, So we wanted to create some sort of organization that would bring some of the most promising performers together and then put them in front of casting agents for really big um, circus groups like Cirque du Soleil and Cavalia and Cirque Louise and things like that. Excuse me. So that's how um, we sort of got the idea to start up the organization. And it's um, this is actually our fifth year doing it. So it sort of has taken off from there. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. Um, but uh, we've had an opportunity to meet some really great people and really watch performers grow in their journey, which for us is the most fulfilling part of it to see, you know, how we've helped to positively impact their journey into the performing arts and hopefully get them in front of some of the right people and get them a little bit further ahead than maybe they would have been on their own. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's absolutely fascinating and amazing. Um, and so how long has that organization been around? This will be our fifth year. Fifth year. Okay. Oh great. Mm-hmm. Oh great. And do you, I guess, do you already have plans to expand it even more and more than you already have, or is it just kind of take it one step at a time type of a process? Um, we've talked about it, uh, actually. We, we do have some ideas for how we would like to expand it. Um, 
but we, we sort of, you know, our first year was just a prototype to see, do people even care about this <laughs> <laughs> or, or is it just, you know, big ideas and it, it'll go nowhere. So yeah. we've been gradually growing it each year, but, uh, we do, we do have some future plans for things that we'd like to do to, to make it even broader. Okay. That's awesome. So in everything that you've done, what would you say has been the best advice you've ever received? Um, the best advice I've ever received is from a former boss and he told me you never get more than you ask for. And that has actually helped me many, many times in many negotiations, whether it's, um, working with vendors, negotiating contracts or getting into my next position and negotiating more for myself. And I don't mean just monetarily, I mean, you know, in terms of responsibilities and, and, uh, things that you want to accomplish and areas that you want to get in. Um, it, you know, sometimes you get lucky and you get somebody in your career who's kind of looking out for you and they help guide you in the right direction or, you know, promote you or something like that. But a lot of the times you don't have that. And, um, you know, a lot of times you don't always necessarily kind of stand up for yourself. And I think this, um, you know, certainly as a woman in tech and a woman in business in general, I think sometimes we don't always stand up for ourselves and ask for what we feel we deserve as often as we should. So I think just keeping that in your head that you never get more than you ask for. <clears throat> and, you know, when I, when I do ask for things, I try to make it a win-win situation where there's something in it for me, but there's also something in it for the other person because I, I think that's when it works the best. But to kind of push the envelope a little bit and push a little bit beyond your comfort zone um, and and not just settle for less than you really should. Okay, wonderful. So, Linda, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to see more about what you're working on and read more about what you're working on, where are the best places they can go to do that? So if you're interested in crypto, <laughs> I would go to gem.co, G-E-M dot C-O. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, you could join our Telegram channel or sign up for our beta if you're interested and also read a little bit about what we're trying to accomplish. If you're interested in circus, uh, then I would go to circusstarusa.com and you can learn more about our competition. Um, and you'll also see some links to our studio as well. Um yeah, and then I guess uh, you can always connect with me on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Awesome. And I will make sure I put all of those in the show notes. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was fun. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Hour podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.